0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, I Think Baby Lives Matter. Do you? Recorded on January 21st, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Why Abortion. Why are babies' lives ended in the womb? Why do we not call them babies? Why do we call them fetus? Almost said something really bad. Why do we have millions? Answer? Because the minds of human beings are easily twisted may not sound polite, but that's the truth. Consider the facts worldwide. Worldwide, we we think of abortion very much as an American thing, but it is not American, although we are good at exporting it um, as an ideology, and it's ideologically driven. But worldwide, there are 56 million abortions annually. According to the Guttmacher Institute, a liberal think tank that promotes abortion, they could up the numbers because they celebrate abortion, I don't know, but they say 56 million worldwide a year. 56 million is quite a number, 56 million. Well, that led me to want to Google how many people die in the world every year that are out of the womb, and the answer is 55 million. So even if one of those numbers is deflated and one of those is inflated, it's still close, or even more. Then everybody who dies in a war, everyone who dies in an overdose, everyone who dies of cancer, everyone who dies of a heart attack, human beings snuffed out without a voice. America, we hate war. I hate war. Look forward to the day when Jesus returns and there's no war. America, though, percentage-wise has been very fortunate and not lost many people to war. Uh, you may not like that, uh, if you, <laughs> that stat, if one of the people was your loved one, and it can be. But out of the entire 300 years of our being here, a little less than 300, um, 1,319,000. 1,320,000 if you round up. 1,320,000. There's 300, what, 30 million here? So that's from Revolutionary War through every war all the way up. Of course, the big spikes would be the Civil War and um, World War II was close to the Civil War. Vietnam was up there. These last wars in Iraq where we finally learned how to love our soldiers well. Um, Very few relatively died. A couple thousand. One million 320,000 in almost 300 years. Well, in the year I got out of high school, that many babies were aborted in America. 80s were the highlight of abortion. That was every year. 1.2, 1.3, 1.4. From 1970 to 2014, since a couple years old, they say there were Guttmacher says there were 44,500,000 in America. 44 million people dead. And so I ask again, how can there be abortion? Why abortion? How can we as a nation turn away from what is a bloodbath? You, know, you see this little, maybe you see it all the time, but in the news they got this 22-weeker. And if you see the 22-weeker, this little kid came out and it's, it, it was weeks and weeks ago and the baby's doing fine. They love the pictures of the little babies at 22 weeks. So the, the, it, this one survived, I mean, it was a preemie. Little hands, little feet, poor little thing. Looks like a little a little human frog in a french fry thing when, they, when they're preemies like that. But they grow into just, actually my, one, my l- youngest daughter was a preemie. And she was huge for premie. She was over, she was three and a half pounds, which is really big. But if you're the parent, it looked really scrawny. <laughs> she looked really scrawny to me. I mean, you can count her ribs and they don't put clothes on them in the french fry thing because it's supposed to be warm. And you think this kid needs a hug and they'll let you put your hand in, nothing else. And and my wife was, of course, upset because she'd just given birth and all this trouble and she's back and forth to the hospital every single day. They keep them in the hospital a long time. And she got on the, on the, on the things that go up and down in a building thank you elevator (laughs) and there was this woman there and uh, she saw she was going to the NICU the the NICU and she says "Um, uh, you got a baby there yeah a preemie yep and my wife had tears in her eyes and the lady said to her my my daughter was also a preemie and she was even smaller she was like three pounds she says and now she's 235 pounds, honey, so they catch up, she said. <laughs> How can we turn away? Well, here's your answer. Let me slap you down. Who are you to tell a woman she has to give birth? You ain't got no right to tell some woman she has to have a baby just because your religion says so. It's not your body. Choices between a woman and her doctor, they're not really humans anyway, they're just blobs of tissue. Why should they? Take priority over the quality of a woman's life choices and options. 50 million Americans since I was seven years old is a lot of dead people. That's, that's four, that's, that, how many is that? 40 times more than have died in war in America. We just had Christmas. Christmas is, uh, you got Mary, got that baby in there. but she isn't married yet. (laughs) She's engaged, and then her her great aunt or or cousin or whatever is is old and gets pregnant for the first time. (laughs) Both of them come together, and the Holy Spirit causes the baby in the aunt's womb to leap for joy because it's John the Baptist. It's gonna be John the Baptist right now. It's just a blob of tissue. It's not even human. It's a fetus, and it was leaping for joy over the blob of tissue in her it's just really a shame that they didn't live in Pittsburgh in 2017 when an unwed mother and a woman who's was really in a very high risk could go down near the convention center in Pittsburgh to Planned Parenthood and have their burdens eliminated. Too bad they didn't live now. It's not human. If it was human... Okay, let's say it's it's some sort of subhuman human, but the woman needs its financial opportunities. Why should she be tied to a baby? If my daughter gets pregnant, I don't want her punished with a baby. One of our presidents said. You know what the problem is? The human brain is twisted, just twisted. He's like, well, that's not polite. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to be honest. You're the church. If I was with a bunch of folks who aren't from the church, I don't think I'd start with Twisted. I'd try to work up to Twisted. But here, we got to say, what's the Bible say? Our text for today is Ephesians 4.17. 4.17. So if you'd open your Bible, 4.17 of Ephesians is the book. Ephesians 4.17, if you... One verse, but we're going to need the following verses to explain that verse. But it's really just on this one verse, 417 of Ephesians. Paul says, now, this I say and testify in the Lord. When he says, this I say and testify in the Lord, I'll get to that in a minute. He says, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. For him, Gentiles are (laughs) non-believers. You must no longer do that in the futility of their own minds. Three observations about this text. Number one, Paul is delivering a non-negotiable. This instruction is not negotiable. He's not saying you can or can't do this. He's saying I say and testify. The word there is witness or martyr. (laughs) I am testifying solemnly in in the Lord. It means God has told me to say this to you. So as you and I sit here today, whatever 417 says is binding on you from God, from Jesus, not from me. Jesus, between you have your personal relationship with Jesus? Well, Jesus is talking to you. And he's talking to me. Second observation, walk refers to your daily behavior. The Christian life is not simply about what you believe. It's not simply about a set of truths that you hold, philosophies. It is those... We do believe certain things, and they do matter. They define us, but it's not just about accepting those. It is about how you conduct yourself every day. Paul uses the word walk. I think it's a beautiful word for that. It, 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 it implies movement. You're going from one place to another, and he's talking about your daily life. He calls it your walk. He says, don't walk or don't act like they do. Third. Observation is that Gentiles or unbelievers have a certain way, but believers reject that way. So to come to Christ is not simply to change what you believe, and it's not simply to be different. It's to reject a very specific way of behaving in favor of another way of behaving. Once you used to behave one way, says Paul, because he says that you no longer walk, which means you did walk this way. <laughs> you, you used to behave like this. Many times people go to churches and they want a church that, that's interesting, not boring. I don't blame you. I think there's nothing wrong with that. One that speaks in plain language, not religious platitudes, I'm with you. One that's culturally relevant to you and your friends, I'm with you. But then what they also often want is one that's gonna let me not change too much. Well, that's where we draw the line and say we got to part ways. To come to Christ is a radical change. It's a revolution in your life. You don't add church on as one more addendum to what you do. It's a new world. You no longer walk as you used to. You're the one who was the unbeliever. Now you walk differently. So here's the main point of the sermon. It's the main point of the text, and therefore the main point of the sermon. Ready? Stop thinking the way you used to think before you came to know Christ. Stop thinking. Paul is not, it may seem like he's talking simply about behavior, but he isn't. He's talking about the way you think. The way you think and the way you behave are two different things, but they are never disconnected, are they? The way you behave is a reflection of the way you think. And Paul doesn't say change your behavior. He says change your thinking to change your behavior. You should not act the way you used to. Why would a Christian act differently than he used to? Because he's got new life. Well, then why would he be tempted to go back to the old ways? Because he's surrounded by the old ways. The truly converted, what changes is the way you think. It's a radical change in brain orientation. I think for those who come to Christ as adults, this is an easy idea. It's the one advantage. There's a lot of disadvantages to not being a Christian since you were a child. I wish I had been a Christian since I was a little baby. Not a little baby, but I was old enough to believe. That wasn't God's plan, and that's okay. I think if you come as an adult, it hits you. This is radically different than the way I think. I think it's hardest for kids growing up in the church. I think they have the hardest time getting that because they've been taught to think the right way and behave the right way since they were little kids. They could have trouble discerning. What's the radical difference? <laughs> well, don't you remember when you were when you were drowning deep in sin when you were four, right before you received Christ? <laughs> yes. It was filled with greed for more lollipops. I mean, nevertheless, it doesn't matter. The truly converted have a radical change in the brain, so even if you were raised in the church, you're going to... Fight a temptation to go the wrong way. What is the difference in the brain that does what God wants? I'm gonna to try to put it in the kind of words we talk in today, but I'm not sure we can really answer that without saying things like, you just obey Christ. Uh, if you think like Christ, the Bible says you're the mind of Christ, but I'm gonna use the word center. <laughs> What's at the center of your brain? What's at the center of your brain? In other words, what's the most important thing in your thinking? You know, um, everyone knows a greedy little beggar, greedy little dude, someone who's always motivated by his own self-interest. You know this person. If you don't know this person, you are that person. Everyone else knows it's you. <laughs> and you always know what they're doing because you always know their motive. Their, it's, the center of their brain is, how can I get more? How can I can protect me? It's all about me. Okay, that's at the center of your brain. Center of your brain could be a girl or a guy. Center of your brain can be well anything. Pride or anything. Your body could be the center of your brain. And it, it, it drives all that you do. All your thoughts line up with whatever's whatever in the center. To be a Christian, you put God in the center. And all your thoughts line up behind him. So if God's in the center, everywhere you go, you're going to start thinking. I mean, you go start thinking thoughts that you don't even have to think. Like, I wonder how God wants me to brush my teeth. I've always been a side to side. I wonder if he wants up and down. To which I'd say, don't worry about those things. (laughs) But but that's the level of thinking. I'm getting in a car. What kind of car does God want me to drive? What kind of person does God want me to marry? What kind of job does God want me to have? What kind of language does God want me to have come out of my mouth? What kind of entertainment does God want? All of a sudden, God's in the middle. And because I like him so much, and he gives me me pleasure to know he likes me because of the gospel, I'm on his side. Whatever you want. But if God is not at the center of a brain, what happens to it? It's very easy to twist. This doesn't insult unbelievers because you have the same kind of brain, a very twistable brain. (laughs) Anything can throw over the sacred. Whatever's most important to a person controls them. No matter what they think is most important, when you talk to them, if you watch how they behave, you know it's most important to anybody. And if God's most important to you, it's going to affect your thoughts. Now, if Jesus is the center and the most important thing, you're in a good position. You know why? Because he's the smartest guy. (laughs) I don't don't care who you think is the smartest guy. You know, people think that one dude in the wheelchair... um, Stephen Hawking. See, you people know I need help up here, and I do appreciate that help. All the campuses out there, you may not know, if there's people who cue me because my brain just forgets entire things, and they're serving you in all the campuses. The, um, Stephen Hawking, a lot of people think he's the smartest guy in the world. I want him to tell me what to think. Well, he thinks we're all going to blow up and turn into mercury, and, and aliens planted you here. He's not that smart. He really isn't. You know, he's just not. You're not allowed to say that about a guy in a wheelchair. You can be smart in a wheelchair and you can be foolish in a wheelchair. Who's the smartest guy in the world? Jesus. Who has all the wisdom in the world? These are easy answers, guys. Jesus. Well, if he's at the center of your thinking, your behavior will become smarter, not stupider. Wiser, not foolisher. Is foolisher a word? It is now. So, what Paul is saying here's his main point. The main point of this text, this one verse that the Lord wants you to know, because Paul said it, is stop thinking the way you used to think. Don't be tempted to think the way you used to think. Don't think like the people you used to hang out with think. Don't think like you thought before you knew Christ. Look at the text again. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's behavior, Mike. It's not thinking, but look what he says. In the futility of their minds. You see, you used to walk in the futility of your mind. Your mind told you what to do and it was futile. What's futile mean? When you get to the end of your life, you wasted it. It was worthless. It's worth nothing. Worth nothing. It was futile. That's what futile means. If you don't know Christ, when you get to the end of your life, you've wasted your life. It's futile. You're not getting anywhere. I'm going to be happy. No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to be dead. And you're going to stay dead until the judgment, some way, you won't like it. To be a Christian is to change. And it's to change your thinking. Paul goes on below this and describes Gentile thinking or the way you used to think or the way you and I are still tempted to think and he's saying don't do it. It looks like this. It says they are darkened in their understanding. Is he talking about behavior or thinking? He's talking about both but he centers on the thought process. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. God wants to give them life and they're like I'm outside of that. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them. They don't know. Why don't they know? Due to the hardness of their heart. They're like, I don't care what God says. I'm not in tune with Him. They have become callous. There's nothing more callous than abortion, there's nothing more hard hearted than that. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Because they're darkened. Not a good word for your thinking. (laughs) To describe. Their hardness of heart. Their callousness. They mock truth. If you will. They're apathetic. I don't care about right or wrong. And they're numb. Right? That's callous. They're numb to just feeling sensitive to doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. Because of that. They behave in a certain way. They give themselves up to bad behavior. Ah, screw it. I'm going to do what pleases me. And I don't need any of you Christian do-gooders trying to preach and push me around with your shoving your Jesus down my throat. I do what I do and you leave me alone. Well, that's all of us, right? Apart from Christ. It results in bad behavior. Abortion is bad behavior. Rising from a callous heart. Paul continues. He says fa- something fascinating in verse 20. He says, that's not the way you learn Christ. Do you know what he's saying there? <laughs> he's saying, you didn't learn Christ by your brain. You weren't out there thinking. <laughs> and all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to need to know Jesus. <laughs> I need God. I need to repent. No, no, no. You were callous. You were dark. Your thinking was futile. What he's saying is no one believes in Jesus because they're brilliant. If anyone says, hey, I believe in Jesus now, proving I'm smarter than the rest. You forgot the kind of people Jesus lets into his club. He'll take any more on. And you might be one of them. See, that's insulting. Paul says the very thing. He says, look around us. There's not many and learned, not many. He's like, we're just a bunch of dummies. Well, if we're so dumb, how come we're smart enough to receive Christ? Tell me that one. Well, he says, you didn't learn Christ through thinking your way in. How did we learn about him? Paul explains in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him, right? And we're taught. You learned about him because someone brought you a message. Right? And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Someone has to. Evangelism is always needed in every generation. No one gets saved without somebody telling them. They're not going to brilliantly. The, the people who are arguing and hate Christianity aren't going to say, you know what, I've been thinking about, about all my arguments and they're all stupid. I need to find something better. Where's God? Someone's got to go and tell them. We must never forget that we as a people, and I mean we as a people, the tribe of Christ, black, white, Chinese, South Korean, Native American, Polynesian, Filipino, Japanese, African, no matter where you come from, we're one people, one tribe. We're Jesus' people. We must never forget that we are a people who are here because of a message. We were not a people. Someone brought a message. Just words. That's it. Just, just spoke some words and those words gave life. Exactly. Words matter. Words are our are, are life. All humanity is words. It's all thought. It's all words. And when God speaks, I'm not going to say people listen, E.F. Hutton. I'm going to say life comes. We're a Eight. We're a church because someone told you guys a message. Someone told me a message that Christ died for sinners. And I was born again, and you were born again. And so we are a people. We're not formed by blood, not our blood. We're not all relatives. We're not formed uh, by a club passed down to the generations. We're formed by a message. Good news is, is what we call the center of what we do, we call it the gospel. We say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That just means good news. It just means a great message. That's all it means. Gospel sounds so good because it's religious. But we could throw the word gospel out and exchange it with great news and be exactly correct in what the Bible says. I am not ashamed of this great news because it is the power of God's to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to those nasty Gentiles like us. Unless you're Jewish here. You go first. We go second after you. Good news. The twisted thoughts of men. I use the masculine here, the word men to include women. So, women, you might want to get out of this one, but I'm not gonna let you out. <laughs> the twisted thoughts of men lead to abortion. There's no need for abortion. There's no right. To abortion. Right. The word right. If it means anything at all. It means what is right. And it's yours from God. God never gave you a right. To abortion. There's no right. There's a law. You're allowed. There's no right. Think about this. The thoughts of men lead him to abort millions. The thoughts of God lead millions who are dead to come to life. See the difference? His words are life. Our words are death. The twisted thoughts of men. I don't, I'm not here to change your mind about abortion, by the way. First, I expect most of you are already agreeing that abortion's wrong. But if you're not, I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'll declare to you the truth and let you make it up. But I am here to try to change your mind about Jesus. I'm unapologetically saying, I want you to receive Jesus as your Savior because I care about you. What a jerk I'd be if I said, I don't care if you go to hell, go to hell. That's not nice. There's a message that changes the world. Jesus came to save sinners. See, Jesus... Came to the earth with a mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. That'd be us. I'm looking for you people. Come here. How are you going to save me? I'm going to die on a cross for you. You mean I need you to die? I need you to bleed and die or I cannot be saved? That seems kind of sick. You need me to bleed and die. You need me, the innocent one, to bear the sins for you, the guilty one. I need you to die for me, Jesus? Yes. Why would you do it? Because God loves you that much. That's the whole reason I came to earth. If he saves your soul, he'll fix your brain. That's why I don't need to convince you about abortion. If he, if he fixes your soul, he'll fix your brain. I mean, think about it. Before we were Christians, suppose those of us who came to Christ as adults... Not to leave you out if you didn't. But especially you, you know what I mean. You started to care about a lot of things you weren't even on your radar before, didn't you? Didn't you? So Paul's saying, stop thinking the way you used to think before you came to know Christ. You might say, well, how do I change the way I think, Paul? He answers if we just keep reading. He says, put off your old self. Think of clothing. What if I were to take this shirt off up here? All the men would be jealous. All the ladies would swoon. That's what would happen. That's why I'm not going to do it, man. I want to give you a chance to compete. (laughs) You'd say, put something on. Boy, what are you doing? So I go get a better shirt and put that on. That's the same mechanics that he's using here. He says, put off your old self. Put off your brain the way you used to think which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You wanted all the wrong things and be renewed where? In the spirit of your behavior. Oh, no, in the spirit of your feelings. No, in the spirit of your minds. Christianity is always gonna come down in the practical to your thoughts and you fixing them and me fixing them. He says, I do this, you do this. Don't sit and wait for the Holy Spirit to do it for you. You do this. Take off the one and then put on the new self. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. Wear that. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Changing your mind is like changing your clothes. It all starts with our thinking. For example, abortion. You may have noticed we're talking about abortion today. I once didn't care at all. I mean not at all. I once went with a woman, a young lady. Well, I was a teenager, she was a teenager and she wasn't even my girlfriend to some clinic and she tested negative. but She just wanted someone to go with her. I don't care. I would have happily participated in this sin if it would have saved my tail at one point. And you may have participated. That's the way I thought. Now, my brain has changed. (laughs) Now, I realize every human being made in the image of God. Now, I realize it says, thou shalt not kill because they're made in my image. Now, I realize that human life is superior to animal life, to plant life. Now, I realize that human lives are sacred, not because of their value in whatever they're going to turn out to be. You're going to be a great nurse. We need you. No, no, no. But because they bear the image of God. They're sacred. Now I know that Mary, (laughs) to even think of taking Mary to Planned Parenthood is an abomination. So it should be an abomination to think of taking Louise or Susie or Nancy or Jeanette or Yolanda or Shaniqua or whoever you take. It's just as much an abomination as to take Elizabeth, who carried John. And now I know from the Psalms, it's trained my thinking. God says, I knew you before you were born. In fact, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if I take my shirt off, I want you people to remember that verse. (laughs) I'm made by the hands of God. Psalm 82 reminds me, teaches me to think this. I don't care. I'm not getting the abortion. Let them have it. I'm a dude. The less, no dude wants chicks yelling at him. I don't need feminists yelling at me. Go kill what you want to kill. That was the old way of thinking. New way is Psalm 82 says God is on the side of the fatherless and the defenseless. That if by the ignorance of the darkened mind of the mother and of the people helping her, who I can't judge, I was just as sinful as them in my brain. I was the same guy. (laughs) But if through their darkness it endangers a human baby, I should do something to try to protect that baby. You know what's the good news is Christians are making an impact. Christians in America are making an impact. Worldwide, not so much. But in America, we're making an impact. Um, I hate to say it because it it might sound good. It's not good. But I told you 1.3 million in the year I was cut out of high school in 1981. And it was pretty much that all the way through the 80s and into the 90s and into the 2000s. But now, for the last few years, around 700,000. So that's... A half million souls less. And it is because of Christians. Make no mistake. It is because of grassroots efforts here and there and everywhere. It is because of of people in their local, state governments making it harder to get abortions. It is. And it's worth the fight. But as much as those half a million spared lives feel good, it still doesn't make me feel good about 700,000. 700,000. Our worst war was uh, Civil War. 600 and something thousand. When we, six, over 600,000, the blood of over 600,000, mostly white men atoning for the sin of race-based slavery. It was a high cost. The next one was World War II. That was a little less, but not much. We got off easy. (laughs) Try being a German. We lost a lot of people. Millions and millions. But if in our worst two wars, which are tragedies indeed, we're beating that in abortions every year. So it's not like it's good news. But I don't want to say we're... We're not making any headway, but we got to stay steady. And now it's not just, I'm using abortion here, but I hope you see this is bigger than abortion. It is the way you think needs to change in everything. You don't need to simply transform birth and the the way people view birth. You need to transform your workplace with honesty and hard work. You need to transform um, your society with goodness, your families. You need to change the way you think. Because money, romance, entertainment, your habits, your work, your school, your food, your family, all these things are are behaviors that your thoughts direct. And and, and they're not darkened anymore, so they shouldn't be callous anymore, and you shouldn't be hard-hearted anymore. I think you get where I'm going. I want to just point out a couple of things. One, the biggest possible picture, I think the, darkness is falling on the world in a way it never has. And that's so gloom and doom. I sound like Glenn Beck or something. For <laughs> you Glenn Beck fans. But I'm not talking politics. Politics is a symptom. I'm, I'm saying world, worldwide abortion <laughs> is becoming the norm. There's a darkness falling. Let me give you the example I was listening Al Moeller this week and, and he, he mentioned the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau who, who, who campaigned saying the three rights that he thinks are central to Canadians the three rights that he's going to move forward on in Canada one, the right to abortion two the right of same sex marriage and three, the right to die Now, his thinking is no different than the majority of people who aren't Christians in the world. Now, here's what you got to see here. Well, I want you to see why I say darkness is descending on us and why you being a light matters more now than at any time and why you can expect people to not agree with you, to think you're crazy. You can expect to be alienated and ostracized, become because of your ideas, the only way you can get back in with those people alienating you won't be to compromise, it will be to love them and bring the gospel. But darkness is falling over the planet because the, all these things are a culture of death. Right? All, abortion is death. If you did this to dogs, people wouldn't put up with it. If you put an ad in horse trader, or whatever is near your house, going, I have a collie. She has, I've ultrasounded her. She's got seven pups. I'm going to take her out in the field on this day, and I want, I'm going to do an abortion and kill all the pups. You do that to one collie. What, what would happen to your reputation? You'd be done. You'd be nationwide news. So we're taking the most innocent... And we're slaying 56 million a year worldwide. Humans, the most valuable living creature on the planet, the innocent ones, the ones who can't speak for themselves and the ones nobody misses because no one's ever seen them. That's culture of death. Same-sex marriage is a culture of death. Marriage is God's design for life for life and for the procreation of life. Two women cannot have a baby. Two men cannot have a baby. Oh, but wait, science, baloney. You're just manipulating other people's male parts and other people's female parts to produce something. It's a culture of death, gay marriage is. And then obviously the right to die. You're telling God, I will die when I say, which is the right to doctors to help kill you, which, by the way... (laughs) twisted minds are stupid you start giving doctors the right to kill who they want after a while they'll kill who they want but canada is no different than america america definitely no different than china china's the world's abortion leader and india's second i think i'm not exactly sure about that but i think i'm right it could be india's first and china's second they're just abort like crazy it's a culture of death. Human beings are twisted in their brains till they hate humanity. This could be the end, is what I'm saying, or the precursor to the end. Because once humans collectively all give up God and take a culture of death over cultural culture of life, I don't know what comes next in history or in future history, if that makes sense. That's why you gotta be a light right now. You gotta bring the gospel without shame and without being a jerk. You don't gotta call people murderers. You don't gotta yell at them. You lovingly talk to people who you once were and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't compromise. We're armed with the gospel. And we are a light. So at Harvest, we started an initiative last year called The Least of These. T T L O T the least of these. Well, I can't think of any least of these that's least of these than a baby who cannot speak for him or herself. And um, there may be many ways. Some of you should probably run for office or something. I don't know. I'm not gonna call you to that. God has to. Some of you should lobby and some of you should go down to the convention center neighborhood where Planned Parenthood is and stand on the sidewalk and pray and talk to the people walking in. Some of you should do that but all of us can help our local pregnancy clinics. And we have life choices. In Indiana, here, it reaches all our campuses. And they keep expanding and doing more good. And Harvest Community Church has been a big part, not only of supplying their workers (laughs) from time to time. There's always some harvesters working there. But helping in practical ways, like giving them cold, hard cash. You know, they do banquets every year. You can say, well, they still want my money. They're still killing babies. Well, how long do we got to keep up this fight until the fight is finished? Right? It's how long you fight, till you win the fight. Or don't fight. So we got these baby bottles in my pocket. And I found out some statistics. Did <laughs> you know, this is, their biggest fundraiser is Walk for Life. This is their biggest is this their biggest? Can you help me out in the booth? Yes? I'm not hearing anything. You've got to say something. Bank, banquet is biggest. So this is bigger, is it? After that. Bigger than Walk for Life. This is the biggest non-banquet thing they do. <laughs> yes. Now, if you've got a kid who, who's, who takes m- milk from a bottle, you can take this bottle. We'll give it to you. And you can put milk in it. You don't have to put any money if you don't want to. You can always just write a check. (laughs) But the bottle reminds you that it's babies we're talking about. Now, harvest, and this is not to brag because we probably should and could have done more in the Lord, but we're responsible for about a tenth of everything they get in these baby bottles from all the churches and all the towns they're in. We are. And I feel good about that. But I'll tell you what, I don't feel good enough. (laughs) So we got I, uh, here are the stats. Two years ago, we gave seventy five hundred bucks. The four Harvest campuses—I guess there were three then. Okay, seventy five hundred bucks—that's pretty good. Last year, nine thousand bucks, ninety nine hundred bucks. I mean, almost. Who didn't give their hundred? Probably me. I don't know. <laughs> Could have got to ten. Well, what if we make this our tea lot? And You who regularly give, give a little more. And you who never give into this. Now you start. Maybe you've never given any money when you walked into a church because you're on there not getting my money. Well, whatever. <laughs> we really need people to stop thinking about what someone's trying to take for you and try to think about how you can be part of the solution to people being killed. Here, here's why don't we set a goal of at least doubling that? If we got almost, I'm rounding up to 10, can we get 20? If you clap, you better write a check. <laughs> no clappy if you don't. <laughs> well, I hear that, sister, and I'm, I, I receive that in the spirit you meant it. Um, that was an amen. You can say amen. amen. A lot of times white people don't know they can say amen. Black people know they can say amen. amen. See that? I don't know why. There's written you don't die, nothing. Preacher feels like someone actually cares. Feels kind of good when someone gives you an Amen. We're white. <laughs> Golf clap. Um, so here's what we're going to do. The executive elders, I know it ain't much, but we want to get started. We're just going to throw $1,000 in to prime the pump for T-Lot. So we already taken a thousand of your tithe that was earmarked for something else and threw it at this. So Okay, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. The cost says nothing. What's going to cost me is what I write. I mean, that tithe... We all gave it, and it was going to be spent on something. We just moved it over, right? What's going to cause This is what I write. So I'm going to have to talk to my wife and challenge ourselves. Fill it with coins. That's fine. That's what we want, coins and dollars. If I wrote a check for whatever the coins are, I've doubled it. Anyway, I'm giving you this challenge. This is our least of these. This is our second least of these. Our last one, I thought we did a real good deed. This is another chance to do a good deed. It's very practical, and we have this Sunday, the following Sunday, and the following Sunday, and that's it to get this done. All right. I uh, came into my desk month, a few months ago. On my desk was one of these bottles that someone had forgotten to give, and in that year they had filled out what they filled out the date and a bunch of stuff. Not the name. Not the name. And it said 2009. (laughs) Someone had kept this bottle from 2009 till 2017. They don't get interest if you just have it in a bottle. (laughs) So try to bring it back within two weeks instead of eight years. At least it came back. I was happy about that. But the truth of what Paul wants us to know is Christians change the way you think. So you don't think like you used to think, and you don't think like the world thinks. You are going to be different, and you're going to behave different. But we want to be a light in the dark world. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.